Hello and welcome to Did I Do That? Hi, I'm Sean Schumacher, um, and normally this is a podcast about making graphic design and making mistakes because it's all part of the process. Um, and we are nearing the end of our spring break, but it is still the silly season for me. I am uh, working very hard on a thing that is actually going to be happening uh, as as the as the crow flies as the <laughs> what's the way to describe this as as you hear this tomorrow will be uh kind of the biggest event of the season for uh the school that i teach at portland state university uh it's a event called be honest um it is our our really amazing student portfolio showcase where uh i believe 124 of our amazing students are going to be tabling inside of uh worldwide ad agency wyden kennedy a pretty fantastic fun time so if you are uh local to portland uh that's 5 to 9 p.m at wyden and kennedy and you can learn more at psu.gd slash be honest but that's not why I came to talk to you today. A couple months back, I had Lee Sean Wong on the show uh, back at the AIGA Design Conference. And, uh, you know, he was nice enough to republish the episode that we did together, which is a really fantastic one. And you should definitely go back and, and check out. Um, it is a really great time. But I, I wanted to reach out and, and uh, you know, ask him, like, well, what episodes from your podcast, the AIGA Design Podcast, uh, might be good to share with our viewers? And uh, he responded back right away with a really great conversation that was actually recorded at part of that same AIGA design conference uh, on the black experience in design uh, edited by Ann Barry and uh, featuring a couple other folks from that book. It is a really fantastic book. First of all, one that I have right here. Um, they call it a brick and it is it is quite hefty. Um, so if you haven't checked it out, you absolutely should. It is really, really fantastic. Um, and it is a just really great conversation. And I would encourage you to to listen to it, enjoy it, uh, selected out of the AGA design podcast feed. Um, and also to go pick up the book, uh, The Black Experience in Design, published by Allworth Publishing, uh, an imprint of Skyhorse Publishing. Now, I don't I don't want to criticize Allworth Publishing, but when your main publishing name is Skyhorse, why would you have a different name? Just be Skyhorse all the time. It's great. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, uh, it is a really fantastic book um, that you should absolutely check out um, if you are interested in design at all. Um, and a really fantastic conversation. So thank you to, to Li Shan Wong for kind of uh, setting this up for us. And uh, now I don't know how to end this. <laughs> I never know how to end these when I do. I've done so few of these maybe because I don't know how to end them. It's very possible that that's true. Um, anyway, uh, go check it out and go listen now to the episode that you're about to hear. Okay. <laughs> Bye, I guess. Over 70 designers, artists, curators, educators, students, and researchers representing a wide cross-section of Black diasporic identities and multidisciplinary practices contributed to this book, The Black Experience in Design, Identity, Expression, and Reflection.
Our next guests are three of the six editors that contributed to the book. Please give a spirited AIGA welcome to Anne H. Berry, Jennifer Rittner, and Kelly Walters. So the format of this talk, we're going to have a conversation. I'll introduce you each one by one and kick off with a question, and then we'll just have a free-for-all organic conversation. Sound good? Sounds cool. great. Awesome. So I'm going to start with Anne in the middle here. Anne H. Berry is a writer, a designer, associate professor in the Department of Art and Design at Cleveland State University, and president of AIGA Cleveland. Yay! Yay! Got any Cleveland folks in the house? All right. And let's just start with a bit about the process of this massive book. Can you tell us a little bit about how this came together? So first of all, I have to give a shout out to Stephen Heller, who calls this the brick uh, affectionately. (laughs) But he was actually played a really helpful role in um, introducing us to a publisher. So I just want to mention that. Yeah, in addition to connecting us with his publisher, he also served as like a really great model um, as an ally in the process, in the book publishing process. So I want to mention that first because I think it's really important that much of our conversation today is going to focus on black authorship and um, black people publishing their work. But we we do want to acknowledge Stephen Heller and um, thank him for his support behind the project. So... So, so um, Ever the Educator, I'm going to ask everybody in the audience to try to think back to 2020, what you were doing and what you were feeling at that time, January, February, March. It was a scary time. Um, we were early into the days of the, the COVID-19 pandemic. Pretty sure everybody remembers that. So it was a really, it was a scary time. We, we didn't have a vaccine yet, and so it was... I just remember even in those early days, we didn't know how the virus was spreading. So it was really scary. Um, and then on the heels of that, heading into spring, summer of 2020, um, we were collectively mourning the deaths of Ahmed Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd. And so that I think, at least for me, I was, I had a lot of emotions, frustration, anger, a sense of isolation. And so, I, I did what I usually do, which is to kind of reach out to people in my community and say, now seems like an important time to respond, to do something. So uh, I started talking to some friends of mine. Um, I think Penny Achayo-Laker is here in the audience somewhere. Uh, she's one of our co-editors. Yes, Penny! Hey! <laughs> there she is, right up front. <laughs> there you are. But we had had a conversation with our mutual friend, Tiffany Roman, and about, like, yeah, what do we do? Uh, we're in this situation. We feel like we need to respond. So it was really just a series of informal conversations. And then um, I started reaching out to some of my other design connections. Um, I had just finished working on a, like Kelly has a, a book project that she published earlier. And so she and Jennifer and I knew each other from that project. So we just started connecting with people and we, we formed what is now the, or became the editorial team, uh, six editors. So myself, Jennifer, Kelly, um, Penny, uh, Kareem Colley, and Leslie Ann Noel. And we, we really just started meeting via Zoom and talking. Um, and because, again, it was, like a, it was a difficult and scary time. I can't overestimate how, how important um, that was as we were feeling our way through this project. So we would have these Zoom meetings and just talk. And in a way, it became, at least for me, a kind of therapy. 
to just talk about how we were feeling. But then we also had this goal of doing something, right? Responding in some way. The idea that I originally brought to the table was a special issue journal that addressed the concerns um, and experiences of, of black designers. I never could have predicted that it would turn into the brick. Um, and I think that that's the really beautiful thing about collaboration, which is another piece of this, this project that became really, really important. So I had a kernel of an idea, which was like a pretty good idea, but I think it took the collective group to really turn it into something beautiful beyond what I ever could have imagined. And it, it started with those initial conversations. And I think the other important part of the collaboration is that we were really focused on outcomes. What did we want to achieve? Um, so beyond just like talking about issues that we were thinking about, what is this thing that we wanted to create? Um, but we were driven by what we wanted to achieve, as opposed to getting too hung up on what the final thing was going to be. So again, like I came to the table saying, like a special issue journal, we're going to talk about these things. But through the course of conversations, we, I think as a group, agreed that like that was too limited for what we wanted to achieve. And we wanted to, I mean, we wanted to reach a wide audience. We wanted to develop something that was inclusive, where we could connect with creatives, not even necessarily graphic designers, but creatives who had interesting things to say. So that was the driving force, like the people that we wanted to include and the audience that we wanted to reach. So it didn't start out as a book. Yeah. It didn't start out as a book, but through our collective, I think, coming together and brainstorming, that's what it became. So I just also wanted to emphasize how important collaboration, and in this particular case, the collaboration brought a sense of connectivity that I think we, I needed to survive. Because from beginning to end, the book happened in a pandemic. Right. So all of those pieces, I think, are really important in, in providing some context. So the other important thing I want to mention before I, I want my friends to weigh in here <laughs> is that I, when I first came across the late Sylvia Harris's essay, Searching for a Black Aesthetic in American Graphic Design, that was my first, I guess, touch point or connection to another black designer, really. You know, I think about it often. So for me, part of the, the foundation of this book became that essay, which is why we reprinted it in the book. We thought it was important to do that. And, and her husband, Gary Singer, was kind enough and generous enough to give us permission to do that. And I want to, I actually want to read verbatim one of the things she says in the last paragraph of the essay, because I think it's really foundational, as I said, to, to what this project became. So at the end of her essay, she says, these notes are presented as snapshots and pointers to the research waiting to be undertaken. It is my hope that American designers and scholars will contribute to this body of knowledge and support a generation of designers hungry to see their people and experience reflected in the mirror of our profession. So that that's what this book is. Cool. Thank so you. Good. Please. I'm going to clap for that. I got to clap for that. <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like to move on and introduce our second panelist. <laughs> Kelly Walters, to my left and to your right, is a designer, educator, and founder of the multidisciplinary design studio Bright Polkadot. And in her ongoing design research, she interrogates the complexities of identity formation, systems of value, and the shared vernacular in and around Black visual culture. 
Kelly is also currently an assistant professor of communication design at the Parsons School of Design at the New School in New York City. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell us about some of the core themes that are woven throughout the book? Yes, I can. Um, also, this is super surreal, so I'm just like inside and outside at the same time. Um, so I will definitely answer this question. Um, but before I do, I just wanted to highlight all of the mentors that I have ever had, black or, or otherwise, who've been a huge supporter of me. I would not be at this point on this stage without any of the mentorship that I've received and continue to receive from my mentors and colleagues, students, everyone, and all of you, everyone who was in the, in the book. So I just wanted to highlight that. But in terms of the, the contents of the book, I have my notes here because we have a lot of content in the book, mm-hmm. the uh, the, as you can mm-hmm. see in the book. And I just want to highlight that part of the way that we approached the the kind of structure for the book was really leaning into the expertise and the interests of all the editors. So each chapter really is shaped by those interests based on work that we're currently doing, um, people that we had connected to at the very outset of the project. And I also feel as though when you look through the book, you'll see overlap. There are moments that we are connected. You see moments of conflict. You see moments where, you know, people are actually actively disagreeing. And I I really think that's important in terms of demonstrating the diversity of ideas by black creatives um, working today. And so inside the book, the chapters, just to kind of highlight There's essays and interviews and conversations around design practice, design education, design scholarship, activism, advocacy and community engaged design, Afrofuturism, journeys in design, design equals art does not equal design, and I'll explain that in a second, Um, collective radical and liberatory spaces in design. And again, I think our contributors reflect a range of design practice. So it wasn't necessarily that we were engaging all with graphic design, graphic design practitioners, um, but we have curators, editors, educators, researchers, artists, architects, poets, healers, so many different ways that people reflect and see themselves throughout the book. And I think that when I reflect on what this publication can do to the design discipline more broadly is is that we are defining for ourselves what we are experiencing how we've experienced it, and really asserting that this is existing within the discipline at large. And so I think it's really important that for us that we were taking care of these ideas, that we were taking care of of the information that was being shared. And you'll see that, I think, throughout the book. And then I'll also just speak to kind of the, the way in which I sort of was instrumentalized in the project, I I operated as a creative director and a co-editor. And the two chapters that I worked on were Journeys in Design, Design Equals Art Does Not Equal Design. And part of what I was really interested in really thinking about was the ways in which our journeys, our trajectories are shaped at school, outside of school, the ways in which something that someone says very short and brief can really disrupt our understanding of who we are and whether we feel we can even do design or be in the industry. And so I I think it was important that we capture that and it really circulates throughout the book. And then in terms of design equals art does not equal design, as someone who likes to blur the spaces between disciplines, I was really interested in working with contributors who are thinking about how they see themselves and their practice. Even saying design and art 
depending on the environment that you're in, can be kind of at odds with each other. And also, for some folks, there is no difference. It is one and the same. And so I was really interested in how to engage that dialogue within that chapter. And in, in terms of the sort of creative, creative direction of the book, I would be remiss without shouting out Renal Lusant. Yay! He is, yes. yes. Um, he was our book designer, also was a former student of mine from the University of Connecticut. So also shout out to UConn Huskies, because I have to do that. Um, but like, I, I also like feel that it was so important that when we were thinking about the shaping of this book, how do we play with a, a set of content that runs in terms of style, in terms of format? We have manifestos, we have interviews, we have um, really theoretical, deep, rich essays reflective responses. There were so many different levels to the book and we really needed to work with a designer that both understood the content really deeply but also was able to think about the type hierarchy. How could we make it unconventional, new, fresh, different. And I'm really grateful to Renald for the work that he ha has done for this book because we, again, like his vision is so much present in, in the design. And I also just want to say that I'm excited to, to really share it now more broadly in this capacity, but I'll like pass it back to Lishan for... Yeah, I just wanted to yeah. thread together some things and then I'll introduce our third uh, panelist is that it really sounds like you didn't just create a book. You were really creating a community or reinforcing a com communities that already exist and ties that already existed. And I think that helps set up the introduction to Jennifer and the question I have for her. Uh, but first, Jennifer Rittner. Our third and final panelist is a writer, educator, and communication strategist who currently serves as a visiting assistant professor also at the Parsons School of Design. Jennifer, this book has dialogue in it, as Kelly was talking about, right, with these interviews, but it's also meant to dialogue with the world and with the way that we teach design, the way that we practice design. So can you tell us about some of your intended applications, like how educators, students, and design professionals can really use this book and, and put it into practice? Sure. I think that you're 100% right that we built this based on a sense of community with one another. I think it's important that it happened in 2020 when we were actually very dispersed because our community is very dispersed. We're often not in the same places. Kelly and I actually do teach at Parsons, and that, I think, is a very diverse community that we're not really alone there, but many black designers, design educators, design scholars are working very much in isolation. And so, you know, part of the discourse that we're having is among the six of us, among the 70 of us, but in this very distributed way, creating community across all of the spaces that we're sort of navigating in isolation. And so that felt like a really important way of sort of reaching out and, and inviting one another, not just to create the artifact of this book together, but to create more conversations that we're continuing to build. That the, the book itself is an invitation. It's an invitation to continue this work beyond. Mm -hmm. And I think in part we do it because we were invited to come together, right? And so invitation is so critical to how, you know, we just work with each other. I, I was thinking about it earlier when Anne and Kelly were talking, like how much I love these women, Penny, you know, all of the people who contributed to this book. I have to believe that there are some other, Rick, 
Nick, obviously, is one of the contributors to the book. Kalina, Cheryl, uh, I'm going to say Yacosta, like so many people who are here, or maybe not here right now, but, you know, who are part of our community, but are not all together. And so this invitation was to come together in this way um, that felt very connected, connected through the ideas and connected through the process. I also wanted to point out that when Stephen Heller called this thing a brick, we were like, huh, it's a brick because of its size, yes, and that's, and I love the sort of thought of this thing, this like heavy object, and the color of it, obviously, <laughs> looks like a brick. But I actually think it was more than that, that it's a brick because, you know, the brick is this very carefully crafted object of design, and it forms the foundation of shelter. And the book actually serves as a form of shelter for those of us who are making it and for anyone who is within it. But it also invites others to take shelter with it. And I think it's also important to think of the brick as sort of an, an, a weapon of activism yeah. at times mm-hmm. and in a way or a tool of activism. And I think in a way we're thinking about it that way, too, that this is an act of activism among all of us. So I, I appreciate Stephen Heller giving us the thought of the brick. So in more literal terms, there are a number of sections in the books. First of all, design education is so critical to how we were thinking about this, the construction of the content of the book, how we wanted to talk to educators and students about what can be different in our design pedagogies can and I, institutions. Can I add one thing? So, yeah. so part of this ties into what Jennifer's talking about. We talk about this book as the book we wish we had when yeah. we were students. Wow. So that's, that's yeah. why the education piece became so important. Yeah. And we, so we wanted to provide new content that can exist within a design pedagogy in a design school, but also to talk about different ways that we're actually thinking about being taught, the ways we're thinking about teaching as forms of generosity and mentorship, the way that design education for many of us was very self-taught. And so all the ways that I'm looking here at Annika Henson-Azora's work, in fact, just passed by, and in her interview, she talks about how she was a designer before anyone ever saw her as a designer. And so having to create that label or that identity or that set of capacities for ourselves, for yourselves, because other people are not necessarily nurturing that in you. And so seeing and, and sort of sharing the stories of how many people found their way to design, even when it wasn't nurtured in the spaces where they were, you know, nascent learners and nascent uh, designers. But in more practical terms, in the back of the book, we actually have a resource for educators because we wanted to give people tools to engage with the work and to say, if you don't know how to use this enormous book of 70 essays, because it's just like, where do I start? The um, education piece at the end says, well, here's a question that you can start out asking. And maybe that becomes an invitation to a new conversation that you can have with your students, with your colleagues, with yourself, with your whomever, with your colleagues and so on. And so we hope that this becomes a sort of source of curiosity and also an invitation for more. I'd like to circle back to the necessity of this book. I think a lot of us are already convinced or we already know, and other folks are still trying to think this through. So I'd like to explore both the necessity of the book and also the paradox of the title. And I'll direct it at Anne initially, but Kelly and Jennifer, please chime in uh, now that we're in kind of the free-for-all stage of the interview, which I love to encourage. So, Anne, you write in the intro essay about the necessity for the book. And first, I'll just quote you to yourself and to the audience. (laughs) We must share, we must tell, we must document, we must remember. 
There's a lot there, and also, can you tell us about the paradox of the black yeah, experience? Yeah, well, so, of course, the irony is there is no single black experience. And in a way, it's, it's sort of tongue-in-cheek because oftentimes we are talked about or talked to as though there is one, like we as black people are united in thought and being. And so part of it is to explore the diversity that exists. I mean, we don't even necessarily think of black as being diverse, but that that's what this book is about, the diversity of of black experience and black thought and black creativity or whatever you want to call it. So that that's a key piece of this. Gosh, there's so much to say about that introductory essay. Um, it kind of takes me takes me back to 2020 uh, when I first uh, around the time that I first wrote it. I think one of the things that I've been interested in for a long time as a designer is the humanity of Black people, and so in many ways for me, that's also like on a personal level, that's what this book is about. I think we're told culturally, it often feels, and I, I will say that. Now, contemporary time in 2022, it often feels as though black people, again, we're talked about and talked to as though we are a drain on society, um, when the reality is that we have been contributing since we got here. We are part of American culture. Mm -hmm. Our culture is American culture. And I think part of what we're trying to do is to, for lack of better language, reclaim that space. Yeah. And say, not just say that we're doing really great, amazing things, but like we have been for a long time. Mm -hmm. That's part of the reason why, at least for me, you know, as, as I was thinking through the introduction, I just wanted to, to emphasize that piece of like we're looking at history, we're reflecting on the present, but we're also thinking about the future. And we have been here the entire time. The other thing, of course, that I address in the book is that Politically, you know, we're, we're, legislators are trying to strip us of our history. So it's also a response to some of that to say that, well, no, we're not going to go quietly. I mean, I mean, we have survived. We have survived. We're here. We've survived, but we're going to do as much as we can to preserve this history. So yeah, that's, that's kind of where that introduction came from. So it's, it's that piece. It's making space but also just acknowledging the diversity that exists within blackness. I mean, to, I would just add, too, that, like, the other sort of aspect, just as you're thinking about and saying, like, diversity is that there are, there are many contributors in the book who are multiracial, biracial, are not American, that are, like, looking at blackness and African diaspora from such a broad spectrum that isn't necessarily even American-centric. That's right. And right. I think that the, the other piece that I feel is really reflected in this book um, is that, is, is pushing even beyond, like, seeing what's happening in the U.S., but to also see what's happening more broadly in, in other parts of the world and what blackness looks like in that context and for black creatives. And the other thing that is, I'm just reminded of is, is that, and I think I'll credit this to, to Jennifer because I feel like in one of the conversations we had, we talked about this, that the book is also intergenerational. Yeah. That when you look at the sort of spectrum of folks who are talking, there's so much insight and wisdom from designers who've been practicing for so long in various facets in even more hostile conditions than any, anything that, you know, I might have been facing today. And I think to hear from them, to read and to reprint and publish that is so important 
for, for the contemporary designers who are practicing right now. And so from, again, like I say, our, our elders that are represented in this book to our, our students who are just learning right. about design, we reflect that mm-hmm. in here. And I'm always really excited as I flip through, like we have, there's a section that kind of shows some of the key words and imagery that emerging designers, like, in school or just finishing school are, are thinking about. And, and I think that's something that I often don't always see. It's right. always sometimes the starlet and right. this really cool, trendy sort of case study on, uh, what is popular. But I also think what I find to be so exciting and moving is that we really transcend so many different spectrums and, and still is not everything. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I think that's the part too that like, there's just so much still that we haven't even covered. And so I don't know, Jennifer, if you want to highlight anything. But I mean, there's always more to say. I, I do think the inter- intergenerational piece is important because giving a voice or providing or having a platform in which young emergent designers can share some of the emergent thoughts that they're having around design and the practices that they're inventing and not even inventing. I don't even know if that's the right word, but again, I think the book is a discourse. You know, it's holding a place for this moment. Sylvia talked about documenting, the importance of documenting all of this work that is so rich and so varied and so personal and so universal. And I think that the documentation of this isn't all the perfect things or the most popular things or even the most necessarily exciting things, like you said, not the trendiest things, but just the range of things that are happening. And it required us to go out and look for the new Mm -hmm. to sort of figure out not how do we make a space for our friends, which is not interesting, but for the people that we didn't even know we were like looking for. Like that is actually the really exciting part is the research to find people who are doing things in other spaces that we might not encounter just because they're not all the cover of all the other things, right? We talked a little bit about the infrastructure of publishing and one of the challenges of only being able to be published once you're prominent, as opposed to have more spaces being available to young and emergent designers who are just trying to share what they're doing. And so I think, yes, this intergenerational piece is acknowledging both people who have moved through into later parts of their careers, but also these like really young and exciting people who were doing things that we were just like, what are you doing? That's amazing. And that their stories matter to all of us. There was something else I wanted to say about that, but I'll let it go. Yeah. New books coming. Well, I I was, well, new books coming. Yeah. But I was just going to add that I, I think also there's a vulnerability with writing. Yeah. And it was important to us that we capture voices and perspectives as opposed to finding the best writers. And we didn't want the book to be a collection of like finely polished words that we had like control over. So in many ways, this is like unvarnished. And for me, at least, that's what makes it fresh and interesting. And I don't know. No, some of the writers are very lyrical. Some are scholarly. Some, you know, are sharing their syllabi with us. You know, it's such a range of writings. And that's exactly right. As editors, we did not want to turn this into a guidebook. We didn't want to turn it into something that was, you know, homogenized by us. It wasn't our voice. It really was like 70 entirely unique individuals who were saying something very unique to their perspective. And I think that goes back to that point you all made earlier about not having one monolithic black identity. There isn't like one black voice or accent or whatever, right? This allows people to stand alone as individuals and share their experiences in their own voices. 
If you're up for a little challenge, I feel like this would be helpful for our audience, but also because you all are educators and authors, designers, so you're also role models for folks out there. And because this book is so personal, so here's the setup. Uh, because this is a huge, this is a huge question. So one minute each, because it's such a huge question. But what is your black experience in design? Thinking about saying this to like somebody who might be the only one, right? The only black student in their program or in their studio, like in a few words, like what is your black experience in design? All right, I'll, I'm going to make mine quick because I'm not a designer. Okay. Okay, and I'm biracial. And my mother, who is my black parent, is not African-American. She's Brazilian and indigenous, black and indigenous Brazilian, who came to this country and was baffled by the, by the sort of identification as a black person in this country, that she just didn't have a context for understanding it. And so my black experience in design is witnessing her journey through understanding the place that she held in other people's estimation because of assumptions they made about her and her trying to uh, constantly push against the very narrow parameters of how people wanted to see her as a black woman, as a woman, as a maid for her body, for what she could provide, for the service that she offered others, and never for her own self, for all the things that she brought. And the things that she brought were tremendous. She was she was a designer who never had a design capital D design label, but she made things all the time. And the only reason she wasn't a designer is because nobody nurtured that in her because they could never see that in her because she didn't carry herself in the way that somebody called a capital D designer might. So my experience is actually witnessing her and understanding that there's, as a design educator, there's what is asking, it's not an, I don't know, but it's asking what is the place that I can hold to see in somebody else the capacity that they have, even though somebody else hasn't created the label for it that suits them. Thank you for sharing this. So I'll go, I'll yeah. go next. All right. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's important. It's important. Um, I guess for me, the word is extremes um, because there were periods of isolation and feeling very much like an outsider. Like early on in my career, I just didn't have any mentorship or support. I really didn't know what I was doing. And so graduate school, I'm going to give a shout out to my alma mater, Kent yeah. State University. <laughs> yeah. Yes, please clap for Kent State. Um, it, it, it really changed my career trajectory because it, it's through the education, but also through the faculty that I met in that program, really, it, it changed my entire career trajectory. I mean, it really did. It made an impact. But I think that was also a, a turning point where I started to make broader connections in the design industry. So I started out feeling very isolated and alone, and over time have have found tremendous support and a huge sense of community. And certainly, you know, we... I met a lot of new people through this book project, so that community has extended. So I think then the last thing I, I will add, so, so for my own experience, extremes, isolation, community, but I think it's because of that experience, that's part of the reason I became an educator, because I, I want to, how to articulate this quite, but I want to make sure that my students have that sense of community that I didn't have when I was a student. So it's sort of like, I guess in my own way, trying to pay it forward. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like I completely agree with with that. I think my experience in design has been 
as I said at the very beginning, has been highly influential and shaped by the mentors that I've had. And I, and I, I think about that those mentors weren't all black. And I, and I think about the fact that they still gave me guidance and were open to who I was and really thinking about what I was trying to do, even if the content was black specific, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's really critical that, you know, in the spaces where you are the only one, that you have colleagues, mentors, folks who are, are willing to hear you, listen to what you're saying and to, you know, be a space that can still be nurturing. And, and I think that I, I feel as though there have been these moments where it has been isolating. But I, you know, I think about the fact that like, even before this book project, also plugging my other book, Black, Brown, and Latinx Design Educators, <laughs> because why not? Um, but, you know, even in that, as a, a project, it, it stemmed from an interest. It wasn't a, you know, I was actively thinking about making a book. I was thinking about making a zine on a much smaller scale. And I knew that, you know, reaching out to folks both that I knew but also didn't know was just a way for me to extend this community that I knew was here, but we are all over the place, right? Teaching at all kinds of different institutions. And so I feel like in many ways that book project just demonstrated that there was so much more to learn. And I think I'm grateful that it, you know, segued into to this project because there's so much more depth that we are able to uncover and do within the context of the book. And I think my understanding of design has completely changed um, and is constantly changing as well as I meet new people sharing their own experiences really thinking about how they're navigating through space um, because those experiences are things that I can also bring back to the classroom or to other peers or colleagues who might be navigating, you know, similar things in their own right. And so I feel like I, I'm, I'm really grateful again to the entire editorial team, to the two of you that are sitting up here with me as well. But I feel like you are, you are making my black experience in design, Ooh. you know, and I think that everyone who I, <laughs> you know yeah. connected with is is that yeah. honestly thank you so much for sharing your experiences and just being so game to jump in on like almost an impossible question to answer in the time and you know this book as you called it the brick or Stephen Heller called it the brick. I mean, it's already a big book, but really these experiences could fill libraries yeah. right stadiums and Another theme in the book, in the last four minutes we have left, is this idea of trying to be a good ancestor to really pay it forward to the future. So in the time we have left, like, what's next? Whether it's this configuration, is this team, this community, or other book projects or other creative projects you want to talk about? Well, we will say, so this this book project, actually, the book doubled in size over the course of the project, because we kept finding, you know, there are just so many stories. So so I, I can't say what is next, at least not for me, but I know that there are so many stories yet that haven't been told. Like, we, we never want to front as though this is it. Like, yeah. we've done the work. Um, the work continues. This is just one part of that. So... Yeah. And then, and I mean, there are so many forthcoming books by other, you know, black designers, people of color that I am excited to see when they come out. So they're like, I expect in the next like year, two years that there will be like so many new books that are kind of on your coffee table and your bookshelf. So I'm, I'm excited and encouraged by that. 
for sure. I, I think it's going to be amazing. Yeah. And I think that, you know, part of the not being feeling alone and recognizing that there's a network of, of colleagues and allies and advocates who are both contained within this book and, and, you know, making new work all the time is just having more discourse. I mean, I, would like to see less gatekeeping in the publishing infrastructure around design so that more voices can be heard in, you know, sort of all the imperfect ways in which we're showing up. And so I, you know, I would like to see the next step being more and more and more because this is not a zero sum game where some of us get to publish and therefore other people don't get to get heard, right? Just more access. That should be the goal for all of us. Oh, and also, I also would be remiss if I didn't shout out AIJDC, who I'm sure is in the room here. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> um, because I, I also feel like that has been another community that is is thinking about all of these things uh, as educators. And I know they had their symposium yeah. earlier today, and I, I just just wanted to shout out DC folks. So. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for sharing this book with us. Thank you for making this book because it's an amazing undertaking for gathering this community, sharing your own stories, and being a host for the stories of others. And I hope it inspires you all to dive into this book, but also to find the courage and the creativity to share your stories and and put them out in the world. I did. I did. I wrote notes in my own. You wrote book. notes. Yeah. 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 I think it's a book that really oh needs God. to be annotated. So many I, I tried to keep mine clean by annotating the the PDF version. That's why you get multiple copies. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You can get them down in the bookstore. I'm going to plug this so they don't have yes. to. Book signing too. Yeah. I think, book signing tomorrow as well. So Kelly Walters, Ann H. Berry, Jennifer Rittner, thank you so much for joining thank you. us. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, it's me again. I bet you didn't think you were going to hear me again. Also, I didn't think that when I recorded the first part. Oh, well. Uh, anyway, I wanted to give one more plug to uh, both the AGA Design Podcast feed and to uh, to the Black Experience in Design. Um, if you want to subscribe to uh, the AGA Podcast feed, the easiest way is just to do do a do a search do a search for AIGA Design Podcasts and you will definitely find it in whatever podcast uh, app you use or on Anchor which I guess I mean I think it's still Anchor.fm that you would go to but that sort of been absorbed into the Spotify Borg um, no offense Spotify but also you know. <laughs> Now it's very hard to talk about your podcasting platform. Um, Please give me money, Spotify. Uh, Also wanted to uh, give another plug to the Black Experience in Design in book form, which was the subject of this talk uh, edited by Ann Barry. Um, It is a really, really great book, and you can get it pretty much anywhere books are sold, especially design books. Um, May I encourage you to go to uh, a Powell's or something of that nature. Support your local independent bookseller um, because um, they are they're uh, you know, we don't want them to be absorbed into s- some sort of Borg. I don't think it's likely Spotify will be that Borg. I'm thinking of a certain other big tech company that, uh, you know, famously put out a lot of bookstores from business. That's certainly the normal order that those words go in a sentence. 
Anyway, uh, yeah, pick up that book and, and go subscribe to the AIGA Design Podcast feed. Um, that's all I have. And uh, we're going to have one more week of, of uh, you know, kind of uh, exciting non-current content. <laughs> I'm so desperately trying to think of how TV executives used to talk about reruns. Uh, one, one, more, uh, one more posting week of, of uh, non-current content. And then we're going to be getting back into shows in the beginning of June um, with a, 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 our third, our third season of, did I do that? It's so hard to believe that we're already there. Um, but yeah, we're halfway there. We're living on a prayer. Sure. <laughs> where we're going to leave it as always at the end. We say we're halfway there. We're living on a prayer. Okay. That's all. Bye. <laughs>